You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is Neil Notorious Hughes. Very notorious. Victor, how are you? Also notorious, but not nearly as alertive. <laughs> My name doesn't work like no. that. No, not quite. No. And, you know, it's a shame that it doesn't. Because what, what rhymes with V? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't what's, know that you can rhyme with a letter. What's alliterative with V? What's alliterative? Uh, you can have, yeah, you can have liter- like a Victor Vagabond uh, Marx. Vivacious. I don't know. There's, there's nothing good there. Vivacious. Ooh, there you go. Vivacious. Yeah. yeah. Which is basically just a, a long winded way of saying alive. Voluptuous. Um, just because I fill out the <laughs> No, it doesn't work. <laughs> Curvy in a man is oh, not just good. Going, Come on. <laughs> I'm just I'm just going with the V's here, Victor. Ah, going with the V's. All right. <clears throat> Doing what I can. Let's go with the news. So today, Bloomberg released yeah. a story. And Bloomberg's story is that Apple, Amazon, and almost 30 other companies have all been penetrated by Chinese companies who have planted hacked hardware in their servers on their networks to allow surveillance of these companies. You know, it's funny. Um, last month, I went to the DJI event in Brooklyn when they were showing off the new Mavic Pro 2 or whatever it was called. Uh, and they gave me an SD card. And uh, immediately I told someone, I was like, oh, yeah, I got a free SD card, 32 gigs. And I'm like, yeah, that's hacked. That's Chinese. They totally – they're, they're going to put spyware on your computer. And I was like, oh, I guess I won't plug that in my well, computer. <laughs> I mean it, it is one of these things where the, the easiest way to get a vulnerability from a secure site, right, is you you drop hacked – Physical access. Well, yeah. you, you drop hacked USB keys in the parking lot of that facility. Right. I, I think it was uh, uh, the, the summit between uh, Trump and uh, Kim Jong-un and they gave members of the press USB keys – like the the North Korean government, and it's like, what could go wrong? Why go ahead, plug this into your computer? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. like you 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 lie with dogs, you get fleas. I mean, that's kind yeah. of the way it is. And and you know, there that that I, this is a valuable point actually because this is one of the things that I love about iOS. You know, there there are all sorts of concerns when you bring a device into uh, a let's say, a, uh, a a contentious situation like that, right? You bring it into a, a, mm-hmm. a different country, you expect that you could be hacked or surveilled. And right. iOS, as opposed to other mobile platforms, allows you to restore the device to a cryptographically known good state, right? Correct. By putting the phone into DFU mode, where it says, yep. connect me to iTunes to restore, and then connecting to the computer and restoring directly from a fresh download from Apple. What does DFU stand for? Good point. Let's t- let's find out. <laughs> um, I used to know uh, device firmware upgrade mode. Ah, okay. It's one of those things that I've said it a million times. I've done it a million times. I just didn't know what it stood for. So, yeah. and and basically, you you can can put it in this mode where it will only expect to be uploaded from a computer. You upload the fresh downloaded firmware straight from Apple, so you know that you've got a securely good known state and it's signed by apple right. it's not like because it's it's you can't be signed by anyone else and it won't allow it to upload so it's signed by apple so you know that it, that file is good you know that it's gone directly onto the phone and erased everything on the phone in the process you can restore a device back to a known good state and you can't do that with other devices like you can't do that with an android device for example right and you got a million different builds out there too so. well and you can put it into – you have to unlock the bootloader in order to put it in a state where you can upload fresh firmware to it. And that right there is is questionable because now you're unlocked bootloader, so you're susceptible to everything. It, it's just not great. And, and it goes back to what we were talking about last week about how you know iOS is kind of in many ways the future of computing. I realize that a lot of people listening to this podcast, a lot of people reading Apple Insider don't want to hear that, but it's true. Like you have to think about computers in a new way and, and the new way of doing things. And 
you know, while tweaking things and hacking it and, and customizing it and, and, you know, running automator and all that stuff is great. And we love doing it. Uh, there is a simplicity and a, and a level of security that is built into iOS that makes it way more appealing for people. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of fun if you can get out of your own head and stop thinking about your own workflow and just sit down with an iPad pro and to try to just do regular work with it. And then you realize it's like, oh, I can actually be super productive with this thing. It's just very different from the way that I've handled computers for the last, you know, 35 years or whatever you've been doing it yeah. for, right? Like for me, you know, I was, uh, you know, I started out on a, a 286 compact Presario that, uh, uh, or a 386 compact Presario that I upgraded to a 486. It was overclocked. Uh, you know, I was running DOS on it with like boot, disks and floppy drives and stuff you know that was that was my introduction to computing that was how i handled it what i did and so for me i have that like nerdy background where it's like i'm you know i'm tweaking stuff i'm i'm customizing i'm whatever i just set up this last week i I finally delved seriously into siri shortcuts and i set it up with uh my i set up with if this then that and uh webhooks and so I have it controlling my Neato vacuum, and I have it controlling my um, uh, Logitech Harmony for my TV. So I'm basically doing stuff that I was previously doing with uh, HomeBridge. I'm now doing through Siri shortcuts. So as much as I try to get away from that stuff, and it's just I don't have the time for it anymore, I still like to do it. Like I just, I, you know, I, I like to get into that. And so for me, using computers is very different. And so I have to, and when I talk about stuff on the podcast and all that, I have to be cognizant of that because there's a huge audience of people out there that just don't care and don't want to do all that and don't want to give all that effort. And so you think about iOS and that ability to just restore it and just set it back to square one. For a lot of people that annoys them or they think that, you know, it makes it a a play toy and not a real OS. But the truth of it is, that's the future of computing and for good reason, because it's very secure. And and that security is valuable. You know, we talk about encryption end to end for things like iMessage. We talk about that in terms of WhatsApp or WhatsApp was being sued and we were going to find out if their encryption was really end to end or really secure enough. Um, I was just talking with another person who, who finally got onto Telegram the other day, the, this morning, and she asked me, what makes this any different? And I hadn't been pushing for her to get onto Telegram. She just did. And I was like, well, wow, hi, how, <laughs> how'd you get here? And she says, what makes this different? Well, it's like WhatsApp, except <laughs> actually secure. <laughs> you know, but there, there's, there's value. There's immense value in being able to reset something to a known good state, a securely known good state, a signed. So it's only about China. And, it's, and so I'm going to get to China, but one of the things I was going to say about your your nerd background is <laughs> there there are users that want to be productive that have a workflow in mind right. that have an output in mind that need to get to that output as quickly and as efficiently as possible there are users that like to puzzle solve also to get to a result but enjoy a little bit of the the work along the way and that's where i think the home bridge and the serious shortcuts user lives you know you're you wanted the result of using your harmony remote and controlling it via voice. That was the point of using HomeBridge. Right. And you you got a little bit of pleasure out of the tinkering along the way. Yes. And I'm impressed that you were doing it through Siri Shortcuts because I was thinking of you the past couple of days. There's an alternative to HomeBridge that I like very much now called Home Assistant. Okay. Home Assistant also runs on Raspberry Pi or other platforms. And instead of HomeBridge where it's meant to be a, a bridge to HomeKit – it is meant to be its own platform, entirely open source. But along the way, it also has a add-on that talks to HomeKit. And so I was able to replace cool. all of my flaky HomeBridge stuff that didn't work in the end with this Home Assistant that totally understands my SwitchMate switches, that totally understands a bunch of other stuff, and also understands – I mean, there's there's Sonoff stuff, and Sonoff allows you to use MQTT, and there's a guy that's made an alternative firmware for it that does HomeKit, and it all works with Home Assistant. And so I've got things going in Home Assistant that are really super fast, and when I when I paired it to to Home, it just came on, and like ten switches appeared awesome. as soon as I triggered the HomeKit code. 
It was beautiful. Yeah, I, I had the worst experience with Home Bridge. Yeah, uh, me too. It just did not work very well. It was not reliable. I like the idea. I certainly want to be able to do all this stuff. But now, uh, so there used to be built-in if this and that support for uh, workflow. But since it switched over to shortcuts, there is no support for it. So you have to do a little bit of a hack, but it's the stupidest, most basic hack you can imagine. So you just set it up with webhooks. You put in a URL, so you have like your unique key, and then you create a custom command, and it works amazingly. Like, uh, you know, I just set it up to control all the inputs for my Harmony uh, and my Neato uh, Robotics Vacuum. And then I can just say, you know, Siri, run the vacuum or dock the vacuum and, and it works. And it's basically everything that I was trying to do with Homebridge that was giving me a headache and a nightmare. Uh, and it works very easily. So I know a couple weeks ago on the podcast, I was saying, I hope somebody will build the uh, Siri shortcuts uh, for me. Uh, you're all the worst. Nobody built anything for me. So uh, <laughs> the worst podcast listeners ever. Oh, Thanks for nothing. Uh, I went. <laughs> I went and did it myself, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, and you're great, using so. IFTT as the backend for that. Yeah, yeah, IFTT and webhooks in it, uh, and it basically just it accesses a URL that sends the trigger. So there's like a sounds really slow. one second delay. Yeah, it's like a one second delay. So you'll say turn on the TV, and then you wait a beat, and then it turns on. But it's it's not bad. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously. This is going to get better. There should be some unification between uh, the home app and Siri shortcuts. Um, There's a lot of stupidity. Like, for example, uh, so every every single light in my house is HomeKit enabled. And if I say via what are you using uh, Hue for those or what? uh, Combination of uh, Lutron and Hue. Okay. And uh, so if I say Siri, turn off the lights, it looks at me like i'm an idiot but if i say turn off all the lights then it works so uh i when you know it's it's one of those things where it's like solving the stupidity of home kit and it's just like okay i went and i made it a command where i said turn off all the lights and that turns off all my stuff and it does it through the home app and all that so you know it's it's one of those things where like Apple is not doing a great job with the voice commands and understanding, you know, dynamic stuff. You have to know the specific commands. But between Siri shortcuts and the home app, you can now customize it to a level where if you put in literally two minutes of effort, you can make it work. It'll do what you want. You just have to have that know-how. And so, you know, going back to what I was saying about being a tinkerer, I'm happy to do that. I love to do that. Is the average Apple user, is the average iPhone user going to go through and do that level of tinkering? Probably not. And they're probably still going to be pretty frustrated with Siri. So there's a lot of ground for Apple to cover. But in the interim, I'm happy because I can just figure it all out. I, well, so I was I was about ready to give up on these SwitchMate switches. I was I was done with them. They didn't work in Homebridge anymore. I couldn't figure it out. It was kind of a nightmare. And why not just get like the uh, uh, the IKEA well, stuff? Let me let me explain. I like the idea very much of controlling the switches as opposed to controlling the bulbs. And Best Buy had a special on their Insignia in-wall switches that control that work with uh, Alexa and Google Assistant and also HomeKit. And instead of forty bucks mm-hmm. for an in-wall switch, they were now twenty bucks. And so I bought four of them, and I was going to go ahead and start wiring them. But I figured, you know what? It's late at night. I have an hour to burn. I will go ahead and install Home Assistant on a Pi as a last-ditch effort to see if I can make these SwitchMate things happen before I go ahead and pull breakers and and take the wall covers off, wall plates off. And so you bought a bunch of cheap stuff is basically well, what I got these wonderful things and I haven't even installed them yet because <laughs> the old stuff I have started working again now. <laughs> oh, so the home assistant home assistant is totally then. doing it. And I have now seven of these best buy in wall light switches that I haven't yeah, installed. Yeah, switches yet. versus switches versus bulbs are for anybody that doesn't do any smart home stuff. That is the biggest problem, right? Cause the bulbs have their own features. You can change colors. They're power efficient. They do all this stuff. But if you have a switch where you physically turn off, which, you know, is more than 50% of the time you're going to physically hit a switch, right? Then that ruins the whole smart home thing. So what I actually did was, 
Um, I, I had a, a huge number of hue bulbs. I had like seven or eight hue bulbs and I had them at a big house in Florida. And then I moved to a tiny, tiny apartment in Brooklyn. And I was like, oh, this like satisfies almost all of my bulb needs. So I have an office in my tiny apartment in Brooklyn. And it was like, I have two hue bulbs in there. And if I hit a switch, I just turn them off and then I can't turn them on with HomeKit. So what I did was I, uh, I hardwired the light. So it's always on in that room. And then I replaced the wall switch with the Philips hue dimmer switch that like pops out of the mm-hmm. wall. So it, it went over the mounting plate and it just sits there. And so I get, you know, the equivalent of a switch, and but it also works with HomeKit. And what's great is they've since updated the switches so that the switches themselves are HomeKit devices. So I can reprogram it. So uh, instead of the dimmer doing lights up and down, it actually changes the fan on and off, which is nice. cool. Yeah. So ceiling fans are my next big job. I'm, I'm working on figuring – because ceiling fans, you can buy the Hunter fan for 300 bucks. Well, yeah, but they're giant and I have a tiny apartment. So I just made the switches right. work. So the switches do the fan, basically. So I have a regular fan, and it's just controlled by and the that, switch. And that makes sense. That's good. But you know, if yeah. you had a ceiling fan, for example, ceiling fans are hard. There's Hunter, and that's it. And there's no good right. way to adapt a existing ceiling fan to be HomeKit compatible. But I am working on it. There is. No, that's what, that's what I've done. You just get the switch. Yeah. But the switch doesn't control an existing ceiling fan. It, 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 yeah, I no, mean, it does. You just hook it up to a Lutron switch. It's on or off. I mean, you can't get the speed Exactly. That's not okay. So I tried. I want three so speeds in life, I have, and I've got it figured out. I'm working on it. I'll tell you in a future fans came with My my fans came with my place, and I, and I had it working for like one minute, one day. But uh, So they're fans that are controlled through you know, an infrared blaster or yeah. whatever. Uh, and so I got a uh, thing that plugged into the Raspberry Pi. And that had a home bridge hack. And so you could adjust the speed of the fan. And I had it working. Uh, and then, of course, there was some sort of a Raspberry Pi OS update or something that that ruined all of it. But I had it working for a, mu- a minute. So it, it is technically possible to take dumb devices. Like uh, my, my air conditioner is uh, one of those things where it's a, it's a window unit. And I just have it plugged into a smart plug. And so I have a smart air conditioner, even though I can't control the temperature, but you know, that's fine. Yeah. Just turn the air conditioner on. Well, I have, I have got home kit for both of my air conditioner stuff going, but I need to do the, uh, the ceiling fans and I'm working on that. There's some interesting things. And what's funny is you can, you can make it smart by having connect to another device. So I have a, a separate device that measures the temperature. And so I can then create a scene and, or a, a trigger and then say, if the temperature hits this, turn off the air conditioner. So my dumb air conditioner all of a sudden is smart. Which is cool. But that's not what the yeah. story is about. The story is about China and, no. and being hacked and all these <laughs> kinds of things, right? Yeah. Yes. So, so, so here's what we know which is that Bloomberg has been working on this story for ages. And they published their story saying that Amazon had extra hardware embedded on motherboards found in a startup that Amazon was keen to acquire. That that there was a microchip that was an extra one that was about the size of a grain of rice that wasn't part of the original design. The motherboards that were a part of that startup were produced by Supermicro. Apple also purchased servers from Supermicro, about 30,000 of them and so forth, at, uh, for, for its iCloud data centers over the course of two years. Mm-hmm. And that the chips enabled a stealth doorway onto any network where the computers were located. And of course, that stealth doorway onto any network is Bloomberg's language. The attack with a single chip allegedly offered the potential for long-term stealth access and you know, this could be for corporate espionage. It could be attacks to affect U.S. military and law enforcement. Uh, the servers that that were part of this startup that Amazon was looking at purchasing were used by the Department of Defense, uh, CIA drone operations, Navy warships, other things like that. And Bloomberg claims that senior insiders at Apple advised them that they had found a number of malicious chips in supermicro boards in May of 2015 after detecting odd network activity and firmware problems. And Bloomberg claims that Apple reported this to the FBI, but kept the details of what it uncovered quiet, even internally. And also that a few weeks after the discovery, Apple removed all the super micro servers from their data centers. Now, all right. So, cut to the chase. What do you think? I, 
So Apple's statement is revealing, right? Apple's statement says, over the course of the past year, Bloomberg contacted us multiple times with these claims, sometimes vague, sometimes elaborate, of an alleged security incident at Apple. Each time, we conducted rigorous internal investigations based on their inquiries, and each time, we found absolutely no evidence to support any of them. We have repeatedly and consistently offered factual responses on the record, refuting every aspect of Bloomberg's story relating to Apple. And, and this is the part that's really strong. On this, we can be very clear. Apple's never found malicious chips, hardware manipulations, or vulnerabilities purposely planted on any server. We never had any contact with the FBI or any other agency about any such incident. We are not aware of any investigation by the FBI, nor are our contacts in law enforcement. That's pretty definitive, wouldn't you say? It is. No. They, they said in their statement, Apple said that they deployed 2,000 super microservers, not 7,000. None of those servers ever were found to have any malicious chips. As a matter of practice, before servers put into production at Apple, they're inspected for security vulnerabilities. They update all firmware and software with the latest protections and latest versions that they can ensure are secure. They did not cover any unusual vulnerabilities in the servers they purchased from Supermicro when they updated firmware and software. Um, deeply disappointed in Bloomberg's dealings with us. Bloomberg's reporters have not been open to the possibility that they or their sources might be wrong or misinformed. Our best guess at Apple is that they're confusing their story with a previously reported 2016 incident in which we, Apple, discovered an infected driver on a single supermicro server in one of our labs. That one-time event was determined to be accidental and not a targeted attack against Apple. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story because uh, Apple had such a definitive, lengthy response to this. Uh, and, and Amazon did too. Um, so I found that to be very interesting, you know, Obviously, when I hear a story like this, um, you know, I, I'm a journalist, so uh, I, I tend to believe that the journalists uh, did their due diligence. Uh, and then you also look at it and it's like, who has reason to lie in this story, right? Or at Who's least... Who's getting economic disputed. benefit out of saying that there's nothing here, yeah. right? The, <laughs> right. So yeah, Apple has reason to deny it. So, you know, my guess based on this, I mean, that's... a it's a really lengthy it's like eight paragraphs long or whatever that that apple's response it, was it wasn't so short <laughs> this is this is clearly a complicated issue is the way that i that i read that and so what i would say is bloomberg's reporting is probably mostly accurate uh however uh the fact that apple gave such a lengthy response means that there may be some sort of a um a disconnect here I, i'm not sure what that disconnect is, uh, but uh, I think that there probably is a reason for Apple to respond so definitively. Well, the 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 reason to respond definitively is that they want to make it absolutely clear that this vulnerability didn't happen, and here are the specifics for what did happen. I love the illustration in the Bloomberg article. By the way, they they strip away everything from the motherboard in this GIF. And it's just like this tiny little speck of whatever. And it's like, this is the thing that this Chinese company put on the board to steal information. It just, it illustrates it in a way that really makes it effective and makes it work. And it's like, yeah, am I surprised that some Chinese company was doing stuff to infiltrate American companies and steal information? Not at all. Like well, that doesn't so, surprise so me So first all. of all, do governments whether do, do governments surveil? Yes. Do <laughs> does, you know, we, we, we've seen pictures that came out a couple of years ago uh, purported to be the NSA intercepting Amazon shipments of networking hardware and putting their own chips and own boards and things inside the networking hardware and then send, sealing it up and sending it back on as if it, Amazon were delivering it. Right. So this is something that governments do. Now, separately from that, China has a history of cloning products, and, and Cisco has a whole division of people employed specifically to catch counterfeit Cisco hardware. Uh, NEC Corporation had the problem where you know they're a Japanese company, and there were people in China that not only set up clone counterfeit products, but set up a whole clone counterfeit company right down to the NEC name on the outside of the company. And all of their employees thought for sure they were working for the real NEC. And really, it was just a counterfeiting operation that got out of hand and grew into a company. <laughs> you know, I, 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 years ago, I bought a, a PlayStation 3 controller, and it was it came in like the right packaging and everything. It looked like a Sony product. 
And the only way that I you realized a was I was trying to PlayStation. <laughs> yes, and so I was trying to like pair it with a new PlayStation, oh. and the you know they have the pinhole where you gotta like put in the tiny hole to like uh, to reset it or whatever. And I stuck a pin in there, and there was nothing to press. And I was like, "What the heck is going on?" And I Googled it, and it turns out it's a very and I bought this like from Amazon and all that. Like it was, it wasn't like I was like on a CD side of the internet trying to buy a PlayStation controller. No, I was at like a legit site from a legit retailer buying what I thought was a legit controller. And I was shocked. And so like I reached out to Amazon and I was like, Hey, this is crazy. Like any sane person would buy this thing and just think it's a normal PlayStation controller and just use it. And Amazon's reaction was just basically a shrug. They're like, eh, whatever, you know, <laughs> they don't care. They're making money on it. So why would they care? But yeah, I mean like, you know, Sony is like one of the most ripped off companies in China. Uh, you know, a lot of their products, not just PlayStation, but uh, camera, microphone, that sort of stuff. If you go and search around, you can find like knockoffs are everywhere. Oh, even when I made iPhone cases, they the my iPhone cases were ripped off. And I always bought the knockoffs <laughs> to just verify what was being put out there with our name on them. And they the 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 product itself looked right. But the packaging, they always redrew the artwork and redrew the barcode. And when they'd used fonts that were not the right fonts, you know, you'd, you'd get a perfect reproduction of the package. And then they'd use Times New Roman for the copyright text. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, I tell you what, uh, I need a Chinese company to rip off hinge docs because I have had a hinge doc for my MacBook Pro on pre-order for like five months now, and they still haven't shipped them for the 2016 macbook pro redesign with the touch bar and it's like i just want a nice docking station this shouldn't be that difficult yeah. to build and for some reason henge docks can't ship it and there are no chinese ripoffs well, so here's so, here's what uh, happens is <laughs> this happens with kickstarters now where when a kickstarter goes out and comes out with an idea and gets funded that is ripe for the picking chinese companies sees oh, that yeah. the kickstarter got funded clearly there are people that want to buy so they go ahead and counterfeit it and ship before the kickstarter company does right yeah I guess there's not a big market for docking your MacBook Pro to a graphics card and monitor like I do. Yeah. So I'm, I'm alone yeah, you with that one. So I have a I have a generic thing that just holds my MacBook and then I plug in a couple cables. But I want to just have it dock and not have any cables sticking out of it. I want a clean aesthetic. Yeah. So here's, here's what I have to think about Apple's report, a- Apple's uh, response and Amazon response. The specificity of it leads me to to give them more credibility than I would otherwise, right? You're, you're, you're right to say, let's be yeah, skeptical of this. But when Apple says, you're wrong, you're wrong on this, you're wrong on that, you're wrong, 10 ways coming and going, you know, it wasn't 7,000, it was 2,000. Siri was never deployed on these servers that were sold by Supermicro. Uh, it just every piece of the information that they're answering is stuff that makes them have more credibility. Yeah, I agree with that. And is it possible that Bloomberg totally got it wrong, that they went all in based on the information from a source that was wrong? Unlikely. There's probably – I mean they said they talked to three senior Apple executives about this. I'm guessing that the editor who worked with the reporters on that story did not just let them say, yeah, we talked to some people and then let it pass. I'm guessing that this was pretty legit. I'm – Okay. I, I'm just I'm skeptical that the Bloomberg got it right because of the specificity from both Amazon and Apple, and the notion that that uh, you know that they're blowing the lid off this big story, and Apple's saying, "No, we told you you were wrong two years, three years ago. We were told you were wrong two years ago. We were told you were wrong, and you're still wrong." Right? It's it just yeah. No, you're right. I I, I understand the motivation that says that that Apple and Amazon have a financial motive to uh, avoid the story coming out or avoid people believing this story. At the same time, their their strong response feels like the response they'd give because they're frustrated of being accused of something that they can say and with specificity is not true. Yeah, I mean. Uh- I think it's complicated, uh, but the fact that they say that three senior executives at Apple in 2015 uh, discussed the fact that these chips had been installed on there uh, is – I mean, they're not making that up. Well, I'm, I'm willing to think that Bloomberg has conflated some things. You know that reporters get confused and get details on a hard story mixed up. Well, Mark Gurman was one of the reporters, so – I'm I'm not going to cast any aspersions. <laughs>
Now, we spent a lot of time on this. So basically, you put use your own skepticism. Decide whether you think that Apple and Amazon and all these guys have been uh, penetrated or if Bloomberg is is going a leap too far here. Yeah, I mean, l- let's be real about it, okay? Is there an incentive for uh, the Chinese government to do this? It, yes. Are they capable and liable to do this sort of thing? Yes. So it's not the craziest thing. Is there an incentive for uh, Apple truth- and Amazon to prevent it? Oh, of course, okay. yeah. <laughs> so the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. I, I think that uh, uh, there probably were some things that were done, probably some attempts, um, and it probably is not exactly as Bloomberg has put it, but, but I think they have most of the picture. I didn't intend to blow the whole show on this one story, so let's move on. <laughs> I really didn't intend to do that. Um, it's a good story, though. I, I it's love a tough story, right? Corporate we didn't really estri- come to espionage. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, government spying, all this intrigue, uh, technology. It's and, a great story. And there story. are parts of that it. that we know to be true in general, not necessarily yeah. related to oh, Apple, yeah. but but have people counterfeited products? Yes. Have governments intercepted package deliveries to alter products so that they can surveil? Yes. Is that what's no, it's, going it's, on it's, here? It's, Gosh, don't know. I could talk about this story for three hours. It is uh, an amazing story. But that's it's not great. the whole show. We can't do that. <laughs> we'll move on. Just It's a good story. Yes. All right. Apple loves their cameras. But do they want – I love Apple's cameras. Do they cameras. want to help you make you look more beautiful? <laughs> it's a Chinese conspiracy. It was well, – Programmed into so, the- I mean, Samsung used to do this. Samsung had a camera where when you took a picture, they smoothed your skin and took away your acne and, and made you beautiful you. I could use more of that. Well, lucky for you, the iPhone XS doesn't do that. But that's the rumor, <laughs> right? That's the story. There have been a number of people saying that the problem with the iPhone XS images is that they look really different, that, that the skin feels smoother in the images, right? Yeah, it's uh, uh, there have been a few analyses of this that go into it, and, and basically, uh, it's a byproduct of uh, the A12 bionic chip uh, and the way that it processes images. But it's not, and it does it with anything. It does it with anything that you take a photo of, and it is particularly apparent on the selfie camera, the forward-facing one, which is obviously lower resolution than the rear-facing camera. But I don't think this was any sort of deliberate uh, making you look like you're the most beautiful person. uh, That was was really uh, the intention of the the Samsung phone. Well, you know, I mean, like, there has to be a a quote-unquote gate with every phone. Uh, and, you know, I, I think a couple of years ago it was, oh, do you have the fast processor or the slow processor? Because the ones made by TSMC run a different cl- – and I was like, this is the stupidest Well, thing except ever. sometimes <laughs> that stuff bears out because we got a story about LTE and it comes down to Intel and Qualcomm stuff. Well, I mean, you know, let's be real. The bend gate on the iPhone 6 was actually kind of legit. Uh, uh, my wife bent her phone. Now, that's her fault for putting it in her back pocket and sitting on it. Uh, so it's not like it was as big of a deal as everybody made, but the phone was potentially liable to bend it when placed under extreme pressure. Now, is that is that something that that I think that was Apple's fault? No, but did they fix it for the next phone for the success? Yeah, they did. So you know, I mean, sometimes yeah, I mean, you're right. Sometimes there's something to it when there's these gate issues, but this one is just and and not only that, it's it's a software thing. So literally. If this is something that Apple wants to fix, 12.1 could fix it. It's not It's not an issue. So what's actually going on here, as far as I understand it, is that there's a lot of processing that goes on on the photos. And sometimes mm-hmm. that is a contrast adjustment. There's a sharpening effect. And there's, there's also a change to the exposure. And the point of all this is to try and denoise the photo, make it look as vivid as possible, make it look as in focus as possible. But when you start denoising things, you take away some detail, and that appears to be smooth skin smoothing. But it's not intentionally right. skin smoothing. No. The iPhone XS takes amazing photos. Uh, I was talking about it last week here on the podcast. I talked about it in my review. Uh, the low-light photos are fantastic and the contrast you get in low light situations is amazing uh go to my twitter account 
uh, at This Is Neil. I went to a concert last night in Williamsburg uh, and took a just amazing photo in a low light situation with light on the lead singer and and uh, uh, the band in the background and just the ability to capture that contrast in the image and have everything look as it should uh, is an amazing accomplishment for a cell phone to be able to do. Uh, and as somebody who goes to a lot of concerts and takes a lot of photos, when I go to them, uh, getting those photos has always been a challenge. I always have to go through and tweak it and do this and that, and they always turn out less than I would like them to. Uh, the 10S is a major leap forward in that department. So as somebody who takes low-light photos, I love it. I think it's fantastic. And any sort of controversy out there is just BS. All right, let's move on. Mojave, have you installed it? I have. have any problems doing it? No, no problems with it. I, I've had uh, I use the eGPU and a um, uh, CalDigit dock docking station, uh, Thunderbolt docking station. Uh, and sometimes when I connect things, it doesn't like return from sleep and I have some issues. But th- honestly, it's been there since the last OS update. But it, in terms of the raw install, I haven't had any yeah. issues. So some Mac owners are having trouble trying to upgrade f- to Mojave. And basically what it looks like to me is happening is is that you get an error that says an error occurred installing Mac OS or there are references to Bridge OS, which is the sort of modified version of Watch OS that handles the touch bar. I think it really only happens to users who are using the iMac Pro and the 2018 MacBook Pro. The common factor appears to be that T2 chip. And so you can kind of get around the issue by resetting the SMC controller. That's that's sort of the best solution that we have. There are a number of people on Apple's community-led support forums that are confirming the problem. Apple's given no guidance on it. And, and so that's kind of where we stand. So if you boot to the restore partition and then wipe the drive using disk utility and then reinstall and use a wired network to install Mojave instead of Wi-Fi, that you can get a working system. And once you do that, then use Migration Assistant to pull back in your data. Obnoxious, but not the end of the world, but pretty obnoxious. I have a pretty annoying bug with iOS 12. I uh, uh, I was running the beta and then uh, it wanted me to install like the 12.1 beta or whatever. And so I opted out of the beta. I, I removed the profile, uh, whatever. Yeah, the profile. But it's still permanently. I'm on the I'm just on the public 12 point or 12.0 now. And it I have a permanent uh, plus one badge on my settings app. And it tells me it's going to automatically install and update overnight. And then I go, okay, yeah, install it and tap on it. It says, oh, you're up to date. So it's like a weird bug where I'm constantly being pestered that I have an update and I don't you have You are one. going to have to wait until point one is officially released and then you'll be sorted out. Yeah, I mean, it's, one of, it's such a minor thing. I figure I'd just ride it out. But yeah, it's pretty stupid. And normally, normally we'd advise people to get off the beta train and to go ahead and wait for those public releases. But, yeah, that's what but I did. there is a reason why you might want to stay on that beta train. Right. I wrote a story about difficulties with charging iOS 12 devices. And initially, it looked like we were talking only about iPhone XS devices. But then there were reports of other devices as well. And the condition is is that if you plug in the phone, it doesn't start charging immediately. You have to lift up the phone, interact with it. And then once you interact with it, right. then it starts charging. And, and there's some speculation that this is related to the USB secure mode, which protects your phone from being surveilled. There's that thing again mm-hmm. um, over the lightning connection. And – it, it shouldn't be interacting or interfering there because that, that security doesn't affect devices that are chargers only. But but right. there is a problem there. And we know that there's a problem there because the release for beta 1 and the release for beta 2 both indicate that they're addressing charging problems. So this is totally something that's yeah. known about. I've, I've, I've seen it a few times on my 10s where I'll charge it and then it doesn't I don't know that it's not charging. It sometimes doesn't indicate that it's charging. Uh, and then I just take it off the dock or whatever, have it on, and then put it back down and it charges again. But I have not had a situation thus far where I wake up the next day 
and my phone didn't charge or yeah, something well, like that. That's like totally it, this bug. But if you interact with it, then right. it goes ahead and charges. If you left it in right, that state exactly. where you put it down and it wasn't charging or it wasn't indicating that it was charging, you'd come back and it would not have charged. And I've had right. that happen a few times. And yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, clearly a, a issue, clearly something I need to fix, uh, but I, clearly also not happening frequently enough and not regularly enough that it's like a, a huge deal. I think that this is relatively minor. I don't know. So there, there are a few things that a device has to be able to do, right? It has to be able to be recharged because if you can't charge it, you can't use it. <laughs> and the other thing that it has to be able to do, if it's a, a cellular device, is it has to be able to get cellular signal. And that's another issue where Apple is reaching out to some customers to address weak LTE for 10S and 10X Max owners. Uh, people who have affected, been affected by this issue have encountered weaker connections than with earlier iPhones, including the iPhone 8 and 10. Now, with the iPhone 8, uh, there was this, this issue where, and also with the 7, where if you had the, uh, the Intel chipset versus the Qualcomm chipset for the cellular radio, that you got less signal. You got less signal strength. The Qualcomm one was better. Since that time, they've pretty much gone right. all in on, on Intel. And they, they, I thought, had fixed that. But th- who was the modem company that Intel bought? They were like based out of Colorado, oh, I, I forget. Um, but yeah, there's a... It's a funny acquisition, though, because the, the history of that is uh, Intel obviously missed out hugely on mobile, oh, yeah. you know, they, they made the, the Atom processor and a bunch of other garbage, but they couldn't get in phones. And that's obviously the next generation of computing. And they're so far behind the eight ball. So their solution was to buy a modem company. And so for years, there was like this contention between Apple and Intel where Apple didn't have any Intel products in the phone. And, and, and Intel really wanted them to have like the Atom processor, like in the iPad and stuff like that. It didn't work out. And so rather than actually make a compelling product, Intel just kind of bought their way into the iPhone and they're like, Oh, we're going to buy a modem company. And so now, uh, by, you know, buying a competent, capable modem company, uh, they are the primary supplier of modems in the iPhone. So, well, I mean, Intel they, they kind bought of like a modem company and they bought them at a time when Apple was having a fight with Qualcomm. Whether or not they were competent is another matter because because we have stories <laughs> okay, well, like this, enough, right? We have enough. stories like yes, where with the no. iPhone 7 and iPhone 8, you had less speed if you had the Intel one. And, and, here, That's fair. and here we've got in the 10s Max weaker connections in LTE. So <laughs> buying their way in, 10 out of 10 points. Yes, definitely award <laughs> you for that. Competent. So we got some work to do. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Touche. Uh, it's just funny when you know the history of it that Intel just, they knew, they had a lot of money and they just knew that they'd screwed up and they needed to get in the iPhone somehow. So they got in, but uh, for better or for worse. Uh, and, you know, good on them for doing it. Buying your way in is definitely one way to go about it. And if you've got the cash flow, do it. I guess. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you know, we talk a lot about Apple doing their own chips for the Mac. And it's so obvious why, because Intel is just such a joke. Like, the, Apple is constantly waiting on Intel for new processors and they're delivering them late and they're missing out on specifications. And so, and then meanwhile, new iPhones and iPads come out every year like clockwork and the chips are always huge improvements. I mean, even this year's chip in terms of raw processing power, the A12 Bionic, uh, you know, in terms of raw processing power, not a huge leap, I think it's like 12% yeah, or but something. That neural engine. But then, the, yeah, the neural engine, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, like 800 times more capable or something like that. So, you know, it's just like Apple's just just doing laps around everybody. It's it's a joke well, and, at this and point. This and stems so, from way, way back in the dawn of time when PowerPC G3s were the, the stuff, right? Right. Because Motorola failed to deliver a G3 to improve the Power Mac year on year. And Steve had to get up and give a keynote about how embarrassed he was that there was no great improvement there. They ended up going to IBM for G3 and G4 chips. The G3 inside the old iBook was an IBM chip. They, the G5 was an IBM chip. And the reason why we went to Intel through all of this was because IBM couldn't deliver a G5 suitable for laptops. They promised to. They couldn't do it. And that's how the Intel transition happened. And Apple mm-hmm. is very much a f- one of these companies that, that – talks about innovation and talks about moving things forward and not being afraid to abandon the past. But at the same time, 
they're also very much a company that, that is very much afraid of being burned again. They got burned once on chips from Motorola and once on chips from IBM. They're not going to get burned again by Intel. And and it's it's kind of quaint, you know. You think about the switch to Intel and how controversial that was at the time. And you know, people like Leo Laporte at the time were saying that uh, you know it was the death of Apple or whatever. Clearly, clearly overdone. Oops. <laughs> uh, however, uh, however, uh, you know, one of the great uh, things that came about from the switch to Intel was obviously the ability to uh, run Windows on a Mac and to do boot camp and to have it be a work machine and a workstation to be able to run all your work apps and to transition more easily to a Mac, maybe if you're new to the Mac. So that was very important. And it's kind of quaint to look back on that now because now it's like everything that you need is universal or it runs on your iPhone or it's a web app or a website or whatever. And who cares? Like if Apple came out with a A series uh, based uh, oh, good job. Series good job. Off. Nope. A series. Uh, nice. <laughs> if if Apple came out with a chip that shall not be named, uh, that sounds similar to the voice system that should be, not be named right now, uh, no one would care. Like, oh, it doesn't run Windows. Who cares? Like, it's it's but such a non-issue. A way, it's a nothing burger at this point. In a point. way, that already happened. There are some Macs that you cannot update to Mojave if you've got a boot camp partition. Interesting. And you cannot use Bootcamp if you in- install Mojave on those Macs. And so what happens is you back up and trash your Bootcamp partition. You reformat your drives. You've got one big partition. You install Mojave. And then if you want Windows stuff, you use Parallels. All right. Let me, let me go on a little rant here. Take it away. So I have I have Bootcamp on my MacBook Why? Pro. And I like I Why? said earlier, I have be- because I have the um, Blackmagic eGPU and sometimes I might want to play games. And so, for okay, example, um, I tried uh, I tried uh, uh, Quake uh, Champions or whatever, the, the free-to-play. I used to play Quake 3 Arena back in the, in the uh, late 90s. I think it came out the same time as Unreal Tournament. That was like when online games were becoming a thing. So I was like, oh, I want to try this out. And I think it's Windows only. So I have this eGPU. And so I installed Boot Camp and, and got it all running. So let's put this to bed right now. This idea that like Apple is not compatible, doesn't work with stuff is complete BS. Because if you're using Thunderbolt 3 devices and like I am, so I have the CalDigit and I have the Blackmagic eGPU, they work great in in uh, macOS. Like I said earlier, I have an issue where like I plug it in and sometimes it'll show up the screen. I got to unplug it, plug it back in, but it works fine. And like it'll give me the error message if I unplug it without disconnecting. But I mean, it's not perfect, but it works great. It does not work in Windows at all. If I connect both of them, it doesn't work. I can connect one or I can connect the other. I've got it hacked. I had to go through and do like editing of the registry to get the eGPU to work and stuff like this. Like this idea that Windows is this universally compatible operating system is such a crock of crap, complete nonsense. I've got a perfectly capable MacBook Pro running Windows. There's absolutely no reason for it not to be able to work with these Thunderbolt 3 devices, and yet it just does not work. I can connect one, I can connect the other, I cannot connect both. And so cut it out with this like whole, oh, Windows is more capable stuff. Mac OS is way more capable when it comes to Thunderbolt 3 devices and eGPU support. And you would think that Windows would be more capable because certainly for gaming and stuff like that, eGPUs would make more sense. No, not the case at all. Totally Mac. Mac runs so much better. So much better. All right. I want to wind things up on a positive note. And I'm going to wind things up because my battery is... That wasn't positive? I was just saying Mac OS is great. My battery on my 2014 MacBook Pro is now at 10%. We started with 100. (laughs) Well, it's not my fault. Well, no. Service battery soon. Thanks a lot, Apple. We got to wind this thing up. Consumer Reports found that the iPhone XS and XS Max batteries last hours longer than the iPhone X. And it contradicts... Oh, so we, we, we like consumer reports this week? Is that where we're at? Well, but here's the thing. is It contradicts their previous reports, their previous tests. Oh, whatever. We Who don't know cares? what to make of them anyway. But they tested <laughs> this thing and they found that suddenly the iPhone XS was able to go 24 and a half hours and the Max made it 26 hours in their lab tests. Well, the iPhone X was a half an hour shy of hitting the 20-hour mark, 19 and a half hours. And what they were doing was they were using a robotic finger programmed to run through a series of tasks on each device, simulating a user's oh, day. So they browsed the internet, oh, they God. took pictures, they used GPS nav, and they made a some phone calls. robotic finger. A robotic finger. That's called a stylus. <laughs> you got a stylus on a motor. Tap. 
All right. So for those of you listening who don't know the entire backstory, uh, Apple Insiders had a bit of a feud with Consumer Reports after Mike Worthley uh, last year, I think maybe earlier this year, wrote an editorial calling him a task because they have a reputation of basically taking a contrarian stance sometimes for the sake of whatever. I don't know why they do it. Uh, and they've done some dumb stuff, including a former MacBook protest where they had like a, a beta feature turned on in Safari and, and God knows what else they do. So Mike wrote a totally fair and totally accurate editorial, just detailing a history of consumer reports being contrarian and, and kind of stupid, frankly, uh, about some of the stuff that they do. And so Consumer Reports then put out a press release calling out Apple Insider, saying that we were horribly inaccurate, blah, 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 blah. Anyhow, they ended up uh, uh, inviting uh, Apple Insider to their uh, testing headquarters in upstate New York. Uh, Stephen Silver went by, wrote a nice editorial on it. So, I mean, this is no disrespect to the folks at Apple. Uh, at, at, at Apple yeah, Insider. no disrespect to our at, friends uh, at Apple at, uh, at Consumer Reports, I, you know, I'm sure that they mean well. Uh, they just have a, a a detailed history of being uh, a little uh, off on some of their uh, reporting that they do at Consumer they Reports. Interesting testing. So the fact that they, yeah, so the fact that they had something that contradicted one of their earlier tests does not really come as much of a surprise to me. I don't think that there's like a conspiracy there, uh, but I think that Apple is an easy target, uh, low hanging fruit for lack of a better term. And uh, I think that, you know, if you want to make a name for yourself as a credible uh, critic of popular consumer electronics, uh, then Apple's an easy target to go for. Well, this is the end of another great episode of the Apple Insider podcast. Neil, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at this is Neil N E I L, and you can read my uh, occasional stuff on AppleInsider.com. Fantastic! Thank you so much for being here this week, and I want to thank all of our listeners. You are the kindest people I know on the internet. Thank you so much for writing in with your your notes of support last week, and keep them coming. We love you guys. Let us know what you want to hear about. No, let's be honest. They didn't make me any series shortcuts, so they suck. But they're 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 the best dressed listeners we got. <laughs> No, I do appreciate all the people that listen and and the support that they show. You're very good people. I just wish that you had made me some series shortcuts so I didn't have to do it myself. We have to run a contest. Who can make Neil a series shortcut? That's what we're going to do. Just come on. I wanted one that would do Do Not Disturb on a weekly basis and nobody could do it. One guy tried, though. He did try. He tried. I I, I give him credit. One one person. All right. We're out. We'll be back next week.